Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Wednesday, October 26th, 2022, and the end of week 35 of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's been 3,164 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 245 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that planned Russian nuclear drills that will be conducted throughout the week are not a prelude to, nor an attempt to conceal, a nuclear first strike, or a cover for a treaty-violating nuclear weapons test. Second, we maintain Russia's accusation that Ukraine is preparing to use an improvised nuclear weapon is a disinformation campaign meant to sow fear and division and an attempt to discredit the Ukrainian government. Third, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Fourth, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus have become a credible threat and that an invasion of western Ukraine is increasingly likely in the next 45 to 75 days. Fifth, we maintain our assessment that Russian forces are engaged in a withdrawal from Kherson, which will likely continue over the next four to eight weeks, despite the GUR statement from Ukraine. Sixth, we maintain that Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue unabated for the foreseeable future until the Ukrainian electrical grid is completely destroyed, and that wide-scale attacks by drones will continue. Seventh, we assess that the Russian mobilization of up to 300,000 troops has exposed the training logistical and supply problems in the Russian Federation caused by rampant and unchecked corruption throughout the military command structure. And finally, we maintain that the threat of tactical nuclear weapons being used on the battlefield has become extremely remote. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. There wasn't much information from either belligerent about the current situation in Kherson. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, did not provide detailed information about locations hit by Russian artillery and rocket attacks. The Russian Ministry of Defense and Russian mill bloggers reported that Ukrainian forces launched unsuccessful attacks on Ishenka and Borisensk. Ukrainian sources acknowledged there was an unsuccessful offensive in Kherson, but did not indicate a location. Several videos emerged from Kherson that helped validate our map in several areas, 
Ukrainian armor destroyed a Russian main battle tank, or MBT, hiding between civilian homes in Novopetrivka, south of the canal. We do include links to the videos that we talk about in our full situation report on Patreon, and if you get the chance, check them out, because some of them are really truly impressive. Further east, in Kalinivsky, a Russian T-62M tank hiding among the ruins of homes was spotted by a drone and destroyed by artillery. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces have heavily mined the west bank of the Dnipro in the Bereslav Rayon, leaving narrow paths to support a rapid retreat. Russian forces continued their partial evacuation of Kherson and are preparing defenses on the east bank of the Dnipro River. Combat engineers are mining the shoreline near Hornostayivka across the river from Milova. An ammunition depot in the very same settlement was destroyed by rockets fired from HIMARS. There was an unknown number of casualties, with local residents reporting many ambulances were sent to the area. Further north in Tavrieske, the Café Stork was destroyed by rockets fired by HIMARS. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that the Ukrainian Air Force carried out three airstrikes and ground forces executed 217 fire missions. They did not, however, share any information about the targets. Two Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down over the Kherson region. In Kherson, the situation for civilians continues to deteriorate. School lunch programs have ended for students, and occupiers were stealing the city buses and transferring them to the East Bank. Russian occupiers also took the barge-mounted cranes from the river port. There is an increasing number of reports of theft, looting, beatings, and suspected Ukrainian partisans being arrested. There was a clarification on the number of Chechen troops killed and wounded in Kaire after a TikTok video revealed their location in a school converted into barracks. Yesterday, officials reported that 40 were killed and 60 wounded. It is now believed that 30 Kadyrovites were killed and up to 100 wounded, with dozens still trapped in the rubble. There were reports on social media of a rocket attack by HIMARS in Radensk, hitting an assembly of Russian equipment stored in two parking lots. Right before we started recording this episode, another report came in of a HIMARS strike in Kherson on a Mobik training area. Needless to say, I do not yet have any information on damage or casualties. At the time of recording, there was an air raid alert for Mykolaiv Oblast. Vitaly Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported it was relatively quiet across the oblast, with most shelling along the line of conflict. Now, I don't know if folks in the military have the same superstition that folks in healthcare have, but just in case, I'm going to knock on wood for you there. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. There was essentially no change in the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and there was no update on the three kidnapped Enerhoatam employees. Enerhoatam claimed that Russian occupiers at ZNPP built an area where they are conducting, quote, secret work and are preventing Enerhoatam and International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, observers from entering. Enerhoatam said on its Telegram channel it, quote, assumes that the Russians, quote, are preparing a terrorist act using nuclear materials and radioactive waste stored at the plant, end quote. 
There are currently 174 containers at the plant's dry spent fuel storage facility, each containing 24 assemblies of spent nuclear fuel. Anarhoatam added, quote, Destruction of these containers as a result of an explosion will lead to a radiation accident and radiation contamination of several hundred square kilometers, miles, of the adjacent territory. End quote. Company officials urged the IAEA to intervene, and at the time of recording, the IAEA had not yet released a statement on the situation at the plant. OCS reported that Vishitarasivka, east of Nikopol, was attacked by grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems. Nikopol and Chervonohriurivka were also struck by grad rockets, knocking out power to 600 homes. Air defenses shot down a Shahed 136 kamikaze drone. Russian forces fired S 300 anti aircraft missiles in a ground attack capacity at Dnipro. Shrapnel from one of the rockets showered a gas station, causing an explosion. We'll have more information for you on that in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Rockets fired by HIMARS hit a Russian base in Velika Biloserka. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire from the Donetsk Zaporizhia administrative border to Juliapola. Now to the Donbas region, starting with southwest Donetsk. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, militia public relations channel claimed that renewed attempts to, quote, encircle Avdiivka were in full swing. Russian mill bloggers dismissed the claim, stating the obvious Ukrainian defenses are too strong, and the 1st Army Corps has insufficient troops and equipment to complete an encirclement. Without any evidence at all, the DNR claimed their forces destroyed three tanks and six armored vehicles, including an M113 armored personnel carrier. Ukrainian forces carried out 94 fire missions on the occupied territory, and less than 24 hours after the claim of a new offensive in full swing, there was little fighting or artillery fire. Not a single reputable Russian mill blogger nor the Russian Ministry of Defense reported any fighting west of Donetsk. Mercenaries with War Gonzo reported fighting that echoed the report from the GSAFU and stated, quote, On the ground, there is no movement. End quote. The DNR attempted to advance on the strategically important town of Krasnohorivka for the first time in over a month. The settlement is on a high plateau and surrounded by water obstacles that will require significant military resources to capture that the 1st Army Corps of the DNR does not have. From the heights of the plateau, Ukrainian forces maintain fire control over the approaches to Avdiivka. Russian sources claimed that fighting continued on the edges of Avdiivka, and another attempt was made to advance into Pervomaisky. A video from the DNR showed a tired out Russian T 72 tank of the 1st Slavic Tank Brigade engaged in indirect fire on Ukrainian positions. Ukrainian forces continued their defense of the firebase at Nevilsky. The DNR claimed they were fighting to recapture territory in Marinka, but the video only showed artillery strikes in the eastern part of the town and near the Druzhby Avenue Bridge, an area repeatedly attacked since late July. The Ukrainian 79th Air Assault Brigade released a drone video showing a Russian BMP infantry fighting vehicle running over an anti tank mine and catastrophically exploding. 
The BMP traveled on an established route through a field that Ukrainian DRG forces likely mined. Southwest of Donetsk, fighting started again east of Novomikhailivka. The number of power outages in Donetsk declined significantly as the interconnected power system stabilized. In northeast Donetsk, financier and likely leader of the private military company or PMC Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, intensified his defense of Wagner's performance around Bakhmut as the company's mercenary forces are pushed back. In a fake interview with the disinformation channel Dixie News, Prigozhin claimed that Wagner is advancing 1 to 200 meters, quote, a day, and that this is normal in modern warfare. We had assessed that Wagner had advanced about 35 meters a day since May 12th when Ukraine withdrew from Svetlodarsk. That figure is now even lower, with Wagner losing about 2,000 meters of territory east of Bakhmut. The type of warfare east of Bakhmut would have been normal in 1940, not in 2022. Prigozhin has worked for months to portray Wagner as a superior fighting force compared to the Russian military and capable of success on the battlefield that the Kremlin cannot achieve. Battlefield realities are calling that image into question, forcing Prigozhin, a master of disinformation with his own internal and external communication channels, to leverage his network to maintain the illusion. Fighting continued east of Solidar and on the edges of Bakhmutska. Wagner forces were able to re-establish control of the Naufchips sheetrock factory on the southeastern edge of Solidar. East of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces pushed PMC Wagner forces east of the E3 highway. A graphic video from the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade showed PMC Wagner positions shelled and hit by drone-dropped munitions southeast of Bakhmut near Veseladolina. Ukrainian forces captured prisoners of war, or POWs, from PMC Wagner, with a wounded mercenary by the call sign Healer explaining he had spent five years in a Russian penal colony before volunteering. He claimed he had not been paid as promised and felt cheated by Wagner. A Russian video showed Ukrainian positions hit by TOS-1 thermobaric rockets, so-called vacuum bombs. The Russian TOS-1 MLRS has a range of 10 kilometers and has seen less frequent use on the battlefield. There are indicators that the Russian Ministry of Defense is bringing in more artillery and MLRS resources along the front after Prigozhin criticized the Kremlin for not providing enough support. Ukrainian forces continued their defense of Ivanhrad and repelled an attempted advance on Kurdyumivka. Russian artillery units shelled Klishyivka with thermite, and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting outside of Spirna. Moving on to Luhansk, mercenaries with Wargonzo provided a very sober assessment of the situation. The group has been very accurate in the information space on this front, with members engaged in fighting and embedded with Russian military units. They reported that Ukrainian forces had established fire control of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, between Kremina and Svatov, writing, quote, For the armed forces of the Russian Federation, the situation is very difficult, end quote. A video from the Ukrainian 40th Artillery Brigade confirmed the Wargonzo report, showing Russian military vehicles being destroyed in Nezhurine, 
only three kilometers from the G-lock. Wargonzo also reported that Ukrainian forces had advanced into the hamlet of Jeregine with a near-unimpeded approach to the P-66 highway, only six kilometers away. The situation in Kremina is deteriorating for Russian occupiers and the civilian population. Russian forces have taken off their uniforms and stolen civilian clothes and were filmed looting an appliance store. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast's administrative and military governor, reported that the hospital in Kremina is overflowing with wounded patients, and Russian military doctors are refusing to treat civilian patients or Russian troops suffering from pneumonia. Pneumonia is rampant among Russian troops, likely infected with flu and COVID. Russian military doctors are increasingly refusing to treat wounded members of penal units because hepatitis and HIV infections are rampant among the former prisoners. And there just isn't enough PPE, that's personal protective equipment, for proper protection from blood spatter. I should probably mention that Kremina has no power, heat, or water. Russian mill bloggers and the Russian MOD reported continued fighting near Kuzemivka. Based on these reports, we've recoded Berestova in Kharkiv as under Ukrainian control. The Russian MOD claimed on September 24th that they held control of the settlement, and we accurately assessed the claim as dubious. Mutual fighting east of Bilohorivka continued, with no change in the overall situation. Pictures emerged from Svatov showing the aftermath of a HIMARS strike that reportedly killed up to 10 Chechen soldiers. Pro-Russian mill blogger Rybar reported Ukraine hit the Russian positions in Zolote with rockets fired by HIMARS and shelled Krasnorychenske, which is east of the P-66 highway G-lock. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. Ukrainian sources reported Petro Pavlivka was liberated based on video and pictures. We had previously assessed the town was under Ukrainian control, but the social intelligence provided the mwah chef's kiss. Russian forces launched another spoiling attack on Ternova, testing Ukrainian defenses and territorial guard capabilities. They discovered the defenses were strong, and the motivated territorial guard knew how to fight. Olesin Yubov, Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported four more settlements had been liberated in Kharkiv, leaving 28 still under Russian control. A week ago, Russian forces controlled 32 settlements. Ukrainian officials shared a video of a spent munitions graveyard in Kharkiv, where the delivery systems of more than 5,000 rockets and missiles that delivered cluster munitions had been piled by explosive ordnance disposal teams. As always, videos are linked in our full situation report on Patreon, and I highly recommend checking this one out. It offers quite a lot of perspective on what these communities have been experiencing. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Romadas of Krasnopilia, Yunakivka, Mikolaevka, Snobnovhorodsk, Bilopilia, 
Shalikhin and Seredina Buda were hit by mortars and artillery shells fired by Russian troops from across the border. A home was damaged in Bilopilia, but there were no casualties reported. In Cherniev, the villages of Senkivka and Kamyanska Sloboda were shelled. In the Kiev region, Ukrainian forces shot down two caliber cruise missiles over the oblast. There weren't any reports of missile strikes on the city or surrounding communities, and the wreckage landed in unpopulated areas. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, one Russian submarine returned to the Black Sea, adding the capability to launch up to four caliber cruise missiles to the existing force. On the Russian front, Russian sources reported that Ukrainian forces shelled the border settlements of Tishanka and Veregovka. In Volgorod, a factory that makes weapon systems, including the Topol M mobile nuclear launch vehicle and parts for the Mista S self propelled gun, suffered a catastrophic explosion. Russian state media agency TASS shared a video showing windows and walls blown out and multiple holes blasted through a burn scarred roof. It is unclear what caused the blast, and there were unconfirmed reports that munitions were also produced in the same facility. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Oleksiy Reznikov, Ukraine's defense minister, said that Rasputitsa had arrived and it was slowing down offensive operations. Ukrainian mud is infamous and has bogged down armies for hundreds of years. During World War II, one reporter described the fall mud season as standing in knee-deep maple syrup. Reznikov said that Ukrainian forces were modifying their tactics to address the increasingly muddy conditions, but progress would slow. The United Nations Security Council held a closed-door meeting to review allegations from the Russian Federation that Ukraine has developed dirty bombs at two locations. The claims have been widely dismissed as a disinformation campaign. Russia's United Nations ambassador, Vasilina Benzia, submitted a five-page report claiming that dirty bombs had been developed by Ukraine's Institute for Nuclear Research of the National Academy of Sciences in Kyiv and Vostochny Mining and Processing Plant, with the, quote, support of Western allies. When Deputy Ambassador Dmitry Polyansky was asked how they obtained the information, he stated it was, quote, intelligence information. Quick editor's note here. So basically, trust us, bro which is pretty similar to the United States' 2003 claims of yellow cake uranium powder in Iraq. Cake sounds pretty good right now, actually. Britain's deputy UN ambassador James Kadiuki told reporters, quote, We've seen and heard no new evidence, end quote. The UK, France, and the United States echoed that, saying, quote, This is a transparently false allegation, end quote, and, quote, Pure Russian misinformation. End quote. The Russian Ministry of Defense notified the United States that the nation would be conducting its annual and previously planned nuclear exercises through October 30th. A fresh notice to air services, or NOTAM, had been issued for the Barents and Karasi areas. Russia is widely expected to test fire ICBM and sea-launched missiles during the planned exercise. Some assessment here. Social media is an absolute dumpster fire with fear-mongering that these tests are just a cover for a potential Russian nuclear first strike. 
NATO has been conducting its own nuclear readiness drills, which started on October 14th as part of a previously planned annual exercise. The fact that Russia delayed their exercises to start as NATO's was ending and notified the West of their plans is not in any way a sign of escalation. So chill out, okay? Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another meeting of the commander-in-chief. The supreme leaders of Ukraine's defense and intelligence agencies discussed the situation along the battlefront, air defenses, and protecting and restoring energy infrastructure. Iranian news agencies are reporting that Guards Colonel Mehdi Molashahi and Basij brother Javad Kika, from the personnel of the Salman Corps of Sistan in Balochistan, were assassinated in Zahedan. There were unsubstantiated claims that Colonel Molashahi was responsible for the Iranian drone program that is supporting Russia. In our assessment, it is more likely this was partisan violence. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard has committed a number of atrocities during brutal crackdowns on protesters in Zahedan. Norway announced they had arrested a Russian spy who had entered the Nordic nation through Brazil. The Norwegian Police Security Service, or PST, announced the arrest and said the case was, quote, huge, but provided no other details. Norway has arrested over a half-dozen people accused of spying and has quietly released four after further investigation. United States Congressperson and Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal, Democrat from Washington, reversed course and withdrew the caucus's letter sent to President Joe Biden, calling for negotiations with the Russian Federation to end the war in Ukraine. Jayapal claimed the letter had been written months ago and signed by 30 members of Congress and was accidentally released by a staff member who acted independently. Sources within the Capitol claim Jayapal personally authorized the release of the letter on Monday. Several lawmakers that signed the letter claimed it was sent without their knowledge. The letter's release caused a firestorm on social media, and its withdrawal only fanned the flames of discontent. According to Politico, one lawmaker that signed on to the draft of the letter said it was, quote, amateur hour on the part of the CPC not to have anticipated, end quote, significant backlash. When asked about the letter, United States Senator Bernie Sanders said that House progressives were, quote, wrong on Ukraine, end quote, throwing more gasoline on the political backlash. Sanders said in an interview, quote, I don't agree with that. And they don't agree with it, apparently. It was withdrawn today, so it becomes a non-issue. End quote. Editor's note here, the truth matters. We've received criticism from people on both sides of the United States political spectrum for reporting the truth, using the statements and declarations made by American politicians. Part of being a malcontent is looking beyond your partisan viewpoint and accepting the truth, even when the truth doesn't align with your personal politics the world will be a better place. Despite all the palace intrigue from Washington, D.C., from both parties, it is widely expected that the House and Senate will pass enough funding in the 2023 omnibus spending bill to support Ukraine for the next year. Speaking of parties, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The Washington Post reported that Yevgeny Prigozhin confronted Russian President Vladimir Putin about the poor performance of the Russian military in Ukraine. Prigozhin denied the report, 
despite being openly critical of the Kremlin and Putin for months across his social media empire. Prigozhin reportedly complained that the Russian MOD was relying too heavily on PMC Wagner for combat operations while not providing enough financial and military support. Wagner has suffered massive casualties since the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine, which is impacting other operations in Syria and African nations such as Mali, Somalia, Madagascar, and the Central African Republic. Colonel General and aspiring dentist Don Don Ramzan Kadyrov also criticized the Kremlin after Chechen forces were killed in a HIMARS strike and due to ongoing shelling of Russian towns. Kadyrov declared that Chechen forces were in a jihad against the West and vowed he would destroy Kiev, Mykolaiv, and Odessa. Kadyrov also declared that conscripts must stop complaining about receiving ill-fitting uniforms and rusty broken weapons, saying, quote, The conscripts are filming videos complaining about the lack of one thing or another, the lack of guns, outdated guns, ill-fitting uniforms. But wait, on the other side, our enemy has good weapons, good uniforms, they have everything. We have to take it from them. We'll take it from them. We mustn't cry if our state and our president need us. Keep all your faults to yourself. End quote. Quick sidebar here. How exactly does an untrained, almost unarmed force conscript, quote, take the weapons and equipment from a better-prepared belligerent? I mean, I think that's an important question. Facing criticism from the war hawks in Russia and dissatisfaction from mill bloggers and influencers, President Putin appeared to admit that the armed forces were facing, quote, issues, and an honest assessment was required. This is not the first time that Putin has vowed that honesty would be coming from the Kremlin and military leaders, only to have Shoigu and the Russian MOD continue to release fanfiction reports on the status of the war. Putin, addressing a newly formed council to resolve military supply and training issues, said, quote, Now we are faced with the need to more rapidly resolve issues associated with providing support for the special military operation— and the need to counter economic restrictions that were imposed on us, which are truly unprecedented without any exaggeration. End quote. The language is unprecedented, with Putin admitting for the first time that economic and trade sanctions were hobbling wartime weapons production. Racial and religious tensions remain high among Mobics. A quick content warning here for anyone who may have trauma related to racial or religious violence. A video shared on Russian Telegram channels showed Russian soldiers beating a Muslim member of their unit after he complained about not being permitted to pray. While beating and kicking the man who collapsed into the fetal position, they scream they are sick of his complaining and that he will only pray to Allah when they allow it. The video might be disturbing to some viewers. Confirmed Russian equipment losses continue to increase at an alarming rate. The Oryx database has visually confirmed over 7,500 pieces of military hardware, including 1,420 main battle tanks, 2,296 armored and infantry fighting vehicles, and 543 barrel and tubed artillery pieces have been destroyed, damaged, abandoned, or captured since February 24th. On top of that, 25% of the entire fleet of Russian Ka-52 helicopters has been visually verified as shot down. Actual losses are estimated to be 25-30% to 30% higher 
as not all losses are documented in video or pictures. For example, a spectacular video was published on October 23rd of a Russian Su-25 pilot ejecting from his crippled aircraft. There was an ongoing debate if Red 08 was hit by an anti-aircraft missile or struck an obstacle during low-level flight. The incident happened over the summer, but wasn't shared until this week, and the loss of the aircraft was undocumented. So, yeah, everything's going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Shrapnel from an S-300 anti-aircraft missile striking Dnipro destroyed a gas station, causing a massive explosion that killed two and badly injured four more. One person was killed while pumping gas, and another was burned alive in a car wash attached to the station. War crimes investigators recovered the bodies of four more victims of the Russian occupation in the recently liberated town of Drobosheve. The settlement is northwest of Liman, where investigators recently exhumed two mass graves. Outside of Orihiv, in the town of Priobrazhenka, grad rockets fired by MLRS struck an apartment building, setting six units on fire and killing two people. Orihiv has been shelled almost every day since early March and the deputy mayor, Svetlana Mandrich, reported that 70% of all buildings had been destroyed. Dozens of children were taken from Enerhodar over the summer to go to so-called camps in the Russian city of Krasnodar Krai, and parents are now being told they will be held, quote, indefinitely in Russia. Human rights organizations have documented over 8,200 children abducted by Russian troops and held for illegal adoptions. The real number is believed to be over 100,000. In geopolitical news, the United Kingdom has a new prime minister. Again. Rishi Sunak became the first person of color and the first Hindu to lead Britain. Sunak is the third prime minister for the UK in 2022, after Boris Johnson's coalition crumbled weeks after a narrow win in a no-confidence vote. Liz Truss issued several new economic policies that slashed the value of the British pound and sent the economy into a tailspin, resulting in her resignation after leading the UK for all of 44 days. Sunak was ultimately unopposed after British MPs rejected a comeback attempt by Boris Johnson and Penny Mordaunt withdrew her candidacy on Sunday evening. In economic news, the ruble improved slightly, with the exchange rate at 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices climbed, with WTI increasing to $86 a barrel and Brent making a more modest gain to $94. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market skyrocketed to $2.91 a gallon, or $0.77 a liter. The United States is facing a shock to its diesel fuel supply, with the national stockpile at the lowest level since 2008. Mansfield Energy announced they required 72-hour notice for fuel requests to meet shipping requirements. The shock is expected to stabilize in the first week of November. 
EU Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed to 100 euros per megawatt hour for November 2022 contracts. Natural gas prices have declined over 70% since they peaked at 339.2 euros over the summer. Chicago SRW wheat futures are shrugging off Russian threats to terminate the grain export deal with Ukraine next month, rising slightly to $8.39 per bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.